Hello and welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And today we've seen American Fiction. Yes. Uh, I was really looking forward to this. I, I think actually from the trailer, my expectations were a little misaligned with what the kind of final result is. Ah, what were your expectations? Well, it's interesting. I, I, the film is so much about white people's expectations of black people, <laughs> black fiction. Mm. And so it kind of made me think, what were my expectations and were they fair? Mm. Um, so the film is uh, written and directed by Cord Jefferson, uh, who's not a name I was particularly familiar with, uh, but I see from Wikipedia that um, he won an Emmy for his work writing and I think story editing on the Watchmen TV show. Mm. He's written for Larry Wilmore um, on Comedy Central. So I, I've seen some stuff that he's done. Mm. Um, here I think he's writing and directing a film for the first time. Mm. Um, the film is based on uh, a novel from 2001 called Erasure by uh, Percival Everett. And it's about a guy played here by Jeffrey Wright who is an academic. He's black. He's a writer. Yeah, he's a writer, and he's teaching at the start, we said. He uh, is forced to take some time off because of a kind of a misunderstanding in class, which maybe talk about. Um, he goes back home to Boston, kind of reconnects with his family, who he's been distant from for a long time. But mo- the, the biggest thing that the trailer was selling was this satire on what white society, white culture expects of black people. So it's this thing about him being you know, kind of erudite, educated, and writing fiction that doesn't sell because it's not particularly about being black, mm. what society expects of blackness. Um, and when, for a joke, he writes something over the top in selling kind of blackness in the most stereotypical way, it's about crime, it's written in vernacular, and it's incredibly stupid, this sells, right? So the film is kind of... It's talking, it's talking about code switching, for one thing. It, re- it really reminded me of, um, that for, again, this is th- what the trailer was reminding me of, was Sorry to Bother You, the mm. Boots Riley film, mm. which was all about kind of black and white voices on the phone. And again, it's about, about expectations and stereotype. Also, we saw that in Black Klansman. Mm. I mean, the, one of the central things in Black Klansman is you've got a black person on the phone to the KKK and the KKK can't tell that he's black, mm. you know. Um, and what the trailer, I suppose, was selling harder than the film is, was the kind of wickedness of the satire and, and just how kind of, just how funny and energetic the film would be. And this isn't a criticism of anything, really, because I do like the film, but I was surprised that um, the satire was, was a smaller part of the film than I expected, although it's obviously key, but we get a great deal about Jeffrey Wright's life, his family, mm. and and this kind of fairly mild, in some sense, family drama, mm. um, which I thought was interesting. And, and I suppose we've got the thing at the start about the book festival, and you've got this author um, speaking on stage who is black, and she's written this book that everyone loves. And she's speaking in a very erudite, refined way, but the book is a kind of ridiculous parody of as the film goes on to talk about, kind of porn of what is expected of black people. But the film itself is also, it's, I think quite subtly, giving you the opposite of that. It's showing you the stereotype and the expectation, but it's also saying, here is a 
black person's normal life, in which I mean, what what is it about Jeffrey Wright's uh, character's life that is you know, particularly black? Nothing really. He's got a mother who's developing Alzheimer's. He's got a brother and a sister who he's quite distant from. These are just normal things in someone's life. You don't have to be a particular race or ethnicity. Mm, and I think that's kind of interesting. But there are things, I think what's most interesting about the film is the way that it sets up what society's expectations of being black are, that they're defined by white people, and that because they're white, defined by white people, black people themselves adhere to it. Right? And this is set up in the opening scene where basically, you know, he's an academic, he's obviously like a fiction writer teaching literature, you know, at a university, and he's basically forced to take a leave of absence because he uses the N-word, a white student takes offense at it, and, you know, uh, uh, he's basically dismissed for temporarily from the university as a result, hmm. and therefore takes the opportunity to go and see his family. Uh, so I think the way that the film kind of dramatizes these things is a little bit heavy-handed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think they work. I think they're funny. I think the family dynamics are kind of, you know, uh, one of the most interesting things uh, about the film. Um, I think they're, you know, I think the film has this where they're not ordinary, really. I mean... You know, it's an upper middle class black family. Yeah, kind of, you know, the mother was a doctor. Um, family of doctors. The, all the family are doctors. They're highly educated. They have a summer house, you know, which is enormous. They have a maid, right? So it's not an average family. It's a high achieving uh, uh, family with normal family problems. Uh, but I think there is also a kind of a steeping in... Um, black culture, really. I mean, I, the guy's called Thelonious, after all. You yeah, know, so. and everyone calls him Monk. Yeah, so um, so I I think it's a film that is um, that that is well written. I mean, I thought it was funny. I kind of I laughed at, it, and there were moments where I was moved, actually. Yeah. Um, but I think it's it's clearly a first film by someone who's got no visual sense at all. And the aspect of design, of flow, you compare a David Fincher film to this and you realize, like, David Fincher's a genius, really, right? Like, kind of, this is so, so banal, really. So it's not someone who's unfamiliar with film, right? There are those um, takes at the end where they basically imitate the endings of you know, genres of sweeping camera and a romantic comedy and so on. But he's only familiar with the most obvious tropes of it. Yeah, and can't kind of mobilize, you know, the variety of cinematic techniques that there are to help and complicate uh, and, and, and make humorous kind of the situation that he seems to have written quite well, I think. Yeah, when you come to that, that ending sequence where you've got the story that we've been told all the way throughout. We kind of pull back and reveal that this is all um, autofiction in itself. Mm. And we're seeing the Jeffrey Wright character making this film on set and they're having discuss discussion about the ending. And so it, it paradises, you know, a couple of different um, 
cinematic. Well, three. So you've got your cut to black is the first one. And then you've got the uh, emotional reconciliation with the woman he's annoyed. And that's when you get the, the, the crane of the drone pull back. Mm. And then we get the um, uh, the police coming in and, and killing mm. him. And that's the one they go with. Oh, yes. That's the one the producer says, that's the right ending. Yes. Um, and that's where the film is visually at its... Um, you know, doing the most, mm. but it's only doing it in the service of parody. And actually, the rest of the film is doing very little visually expressive. Yeah, it's all kind of head and shoulders shots, two shots, and like it kind of it fits, but it's not doing anything with it. No, it isn't. Um, and that's and also that's kind of what I was thinking for for the whole opening of the film because I was expecting this this um, fake novel to to come in much sooner than it did, and the fact that it didn't, and you were developing this drama that was. Um, I mean, it's a comedy drama, but it's a drama about a family that is a little slow and reasonably complex. I mean, that's the kind of thing, again, mm. thinking about my expectations are, I wasn't expecting the film to be this complex, maybe. Mm. But I guess I wasn't expecting it to be this complex in these ways, because mm. I just wasn't expecting this much about the mm. depth of the family. Um, but it, it, it takes a long time, and I was kind of thinking... To an extent, I was thinking, where is the narrative drive to this? And obviously, I was thinking, when is the novel going to come into this? Mm. Um, but I also was thinking, like, it is taking a, a long time. I really don't mind it, though. And there's no rule that says you've got to do this now and this then. You, you can just take the time to be in this family's world and learn about them gradually. And I did kind of enjoy that. I enjoyed it, I enjoyed it very much. But I do think that it's a film that's made by... Uh, the writer and the performances and diminished by the direction and yeah. all the other elements. You know, uh, you can imagine where, you know, the direction and the design and so on could have added layers, uh, could have added humor. Could have, I mean, I think even just visually, like the whole thing looks dingy. Yeah, like mm. kind of, you know, like dimly lit uh, and and you wanted kind of more intensity, really. Um, I, I thought particularly the scenes with the gay brother, right? The gay brother with the beach house, with the beach boys that he's picked up. <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, the actor is brilliant. I, I forget his name. Sterling the, K. Brown. Yeah, he's fantastic. And he makes those scenes, right, with his energy and his humor and so on. But, you know, that could have been made kind of visually exciting. The... You know, it could have been made sexier, it could have been scarier, right? Like, kind of, you know, and, and like, the camera just holds back on, like, this kind of yeah. medium shot and kind of lets the actors do all the work. It's, it's very ordinary of, direction. It's quite poor, really. I, yeah. I would say, you know, below ordinary, it's poor. Um, mm. So, I mean, the point also, it's kind of, it's an interesting one, well made, if not resolved, though, you know, I'm not sure what would, one would expect in terms of a resolution. I think the scenes with the two writers, you know, the one that keeps saying this is what the market wants, mm. uh, and him, who obviously writes kind of literary fiction, I think that should have been expanded. Yeah, there should have been kind of more of a conflict there because you're shown two positions, yeah, but they're irreconcilable. And actually, there should have been something that at least intersected. I think, you know, kind of, they're both black, they're both dealing with the same problems. They have a different moral take on that, mm. right? And I think kind of that should have been explored further. To me, the central thing going on in that scene was 
her hypocrisy. You know, the, the reason that he's written this stupid, stereotypical novel that has suddenly made it into bestseller lists and everyone's crazy about it, and that's why they're judging it for this literary prize. It, he wrote it largely as a response to hers in particular. We yes. see hers as an example yes. of the kind of thing that he's responding to, that this is what the market wants. And, and so she, in the um, discussions with the panel, is criticising this novel that he's written, not knowing that he's written it, um, saying it's lowest common denominator, it's stupid. And then when he brings up her novel with her in that private discussion, she is defending that because it's her novel. She doesn't see that you know. She doesn't see why he, why this novel came about. Essentially, mm. she didn't see the reasons that he was so pissed off with her novel. So that to me is kind of that's why I was looking forward to that scene. I thought this confrontation has to come up and he has to bring this up with her, and then not well, not enough came of that in terms of her confronting her own opinion, mm. which I think was kind of key. You know, she has she has said one thing about one novel and not seen the same in her own. And why doesn't she see the same in her mm. own? And and should she? And you know, is her novel better than his? Or- but also, she's she's defending her actions on the basis of, you know, this is what society is, and this is what you want to do. Like you either want to sell books or you don't, right? Like <laughs> yeah. that's her position, right? So she's willing basically to do anything that will sell books, including kind of self harm. Right, um, but she's not seeing the same thing in this other novel that she's criticizing. Yes, she's not so, saying, "Well, she, he's just trying to sell novels in a marketplace that demands this sort of thing, so it's all right." But to be fair, I thought that was a moment of poor writing because I think in order to have pushed that further, he would have needed to have read her book. Yes, yeah, I think that's really key as well. He says he hasn't read it. That's right. And he's, so. just, he's read excerpts and he got the idea, he got the gist, and you kind of think that's really killer actually to his whole thing about the what makes him so angry and what has led him to write this fake novel, he's doing it based on not enough. In a film, when it's set up like that, he goes to her reading, she is ridiculed at that reading because, you know, again, and it's quite blatant and maybe like too blatant, right? You know, she's she's uh, she tells her story. She's obviously gone to a very posh, you know, university, uh, Oberlin, and she speaks incredibly well, and then she lapses into ghetto talk, right? Like, uh, you know, yeah, which is what she's written the book in. So she reads yeah, from the book, that's and right. that's in like kind of, as you say, ghetto talk, kind of A A V E, but very heavily stereotypical. Mm. Yeah. So, so I think if the argument is there's a wide range of black experience, and we mustn't kind of just create what white audiences. Uh, conceive of us, you know, then there needed to be a more honest dialogue, yeah, between mm. kind of those suppositions. And also one of the things that I kind of fault the film with in, in the writing is that in the arguments about this, there's no kind of conception of a black reader. So we see black readers, obviously the girlfriend reads, the mother reads, he mm. reads, Right. But this idea of, you know, a black readership as being a factor in this market, yeah? Yeah, it's all about the white readers and what the white readers think that we need to see. You know, we, and it's, I mean, that's where the film is at some of its most pointedly satirical is the white characters talking about what we need to see as a society. We need to hear these voices. Yes. You know, and of course, I mean, it's a great bit, actually, 
where you've got the, the, the panel of five judges, two are black, three are white, um, and the three white people are talking up fuck the novel and the two black people are not. And you've got the one character, the uh, one white character, who says, we really need to hear these voices. And the two voices not being listened to in this room are the black ones. That's right. You know. So, so, I mean, I have, I have really mixed feelings about this film. Though I enjoyed it, as I said, and I was moved. It's just, it almost like pains me to see something so dingy and badly directed, really. <laughs> um, but the actors were, you know, brilliant. Um, and, you know, it did bring out kind of family dynamics and kind of regrets and, you know, loss and exclusions and so on that I did find kind of moving, really. Um, I see, funny, I, I, I took all of the family stuff as essentially like an intellectual thing that I was saying about, you know, it, it's it's about showing that this is a black story about black people, but the things that they go through as a family are things that any family of any background could go through. And that's, and the film I think is sort of saying, it's, it's making a point of that. You don't have to, and you've got Jeffrey Wright's character, that great scene in the um, bookstore where he's saying, why are my books under African-American literature? Right, right. Just when, rather than just literature, because they're not particularly about being black. I mm. just happen to be black as an author, mm. you know. And the film, and the film is is sort of saying that in its in the whole way it uses the family story. But like I say, I only took it as an intellectual thing. I I wasn't moved by any of it. Oh, I I was. I was yeah. I was moved by the brother in many instances. You know that moment where the mother uh, says something. Oh, and I thought you were queer. You know. I always is... knew you weren't queer. She yeah, says, uh, you know, which is kind of really cutting when the uh, brother runs off and says, you know, this family could kill you to the girlfriend. Mm. Um, I thought kind of that was moving. Um, yeah, kind of, you know, there were moments that, that moved me. He's yeah. interesting because I I wondered, see, I kind of thought, oh, here is a bit of a stereotypically comedy gay character it is he, a little bit that he's that too right and then when you get to and, he, and he's great i mean he's very reliable at getting laughs and mm. he's got a good role to to do that with um and then when you get to the the part where the mother says i always knew you weren't queer and and that hurts him i thought i thought a it's quite a simple way of hurting him if like for the film you know the way the film is doing it but I also thought, I do like the fact that he's a character who can be hurt. Mm. You know, that he wasn't just the comedy gay psychic sure. stereotype. And and I think he plays it very honestly. Yes. You know? um, As does the film, I think. And also, kind of, to be honest, I can't think of another kind of film focused on a black family that has a gay character in it, though I'm sure I'm wrong, but I can't think of one. I mean, I don't, I can't think off the top of my head, but I can imagine that the character would always be the stereotype that we're talking about. And the, and like I say, I think that the key thing here is the fact that the character has more depth than that. Mm. And, and... I mean, there are black gay characters in lots of television series and so on, but a film that's focused on a black family dynamic, mm. yeah, I, I, I can't think of one. Um... So, so I welcomed kind of seeing mm. it. Mm. Uh, I think it's also interesting, you know, that uh, he's a plastic surgeon, yeah, and he's obviously going through some midlife crisis, and 
you know, he's doing too much drugs and yeah, kind of. I I I I liked I liked it even though there was, you know, he is there to be funny, but he he is also at a certain core, you know. Well, I found that much more touching than the mother having Alzheimer's, the deterioration of the mother. And actually, I found the wedding of the maid, the wedding of the maid and the gay character, so kind of two little subaltern characters within the narrative, more touching than the protagonist. Ah, the maid's wedding. Yes. I I didn't see any of it as moving, but that's just... Yeah, personal reaction, whatever. Mm. But I kind of, I also saw what it, what the film was doing. I, I mean, it wasn't a tearjerker. It's just, no. you know, that it's interesting to have the satire that I think does work as satire. Um, you know, it's funny, but it's also kind of, yeah, it kind of, uh, you know, it's not just about the jokes, right? It's got ideas, it's got a politics, and it's got kind of a sentiment. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think maybe the... The shifts between, or it's not even so much shifts as just the fact that it is combining this kind of family drama with the the satire, the social satire that comes through the book stuff. I, I think the combination is not all that smooth. Mm. I think it kind of jumps back and forth, and tonally, there's the it's a bit janky when you shift between one well, and the other. But I, maybe that's. I thought no. I think there is something. Janky, as you say, about it, and I actually really did not like the endings. I did not like the um, self-awareness of those endings. No, I thought it was a film the that didn't, didn't know how to end itself, and that's yeah. why it went into uh, metatextuality. Yeah, I, you know, it really starts as an honest narrative, and like I said, it has a politics and a sentiment and so on. And then I think the endings kind of ruin it, or it, it makes of the film something else, something that it hasn't been really. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I agree. Um, even though there's that scene where he's dreaming up his his trash novel, mm. and you do have like the characters in the room with him being brought to life, but I thought even that was so cheaply done, really. It could have been a lot better done. Although I did appreciate the fact that it was doing it. I mean, I didn't know what to expect. I, I'm, I think it's really key that we actually get um, that we get an expression of what this novel is actually about. You could easily see it being done as just like words on a page and the idea of the novel. But actually to see a scene from the novel, essentially, as he's coming up with it and to know what everyone is responding to. Yeah, I didn't... I mean, I didn't mind that. I just thought it wasn't very well done. Yeah. But I don't think that it rhymes with the self-referential triple ending. Mm. Yeah, the self-reflexivity of those endings. You know, so... Because I think the film should have ended by well you know by giving the ending to the story it's been telling not yeah. saying oh it could be this story it could be that story or you know this is a potential story but this is what white people want story mm. i mean that just felt kind of cheap to me well, really. i suppose it is ultimately coming down on like it by pulling back from this story and and saying this has all been um this movie that they've been making um you kind of see it in Jeffrey Wright's eyes when he comes up with that third ending where he gets shot on stage. The police come in and think he's this mm. fugitive that he's been pretending to be. And it's, you know, they're playing lacrimosa over it. It's highly dramatic um, and very silly. And then when the producer says, that's the perfect ending, we'll go with it, you're going to win so many awards and all this. You see it in his eyes that I am just still in this fucking world where mm. everything comes down to the 
the low expectations of what mm. is expected of me. So they make sense, you know. It, he, to me, it didn't make sense. To me, it, dis, it dishonored the story. It made it into something else. I agree with that as well. Uh, I just uh, think it also thematically makes sense. It continues to think that there's no escape from the I know, world in which he is. But it's making be. the same point that's already been made. Yeah, but it's now making it about film rather than about literature. Well, I can, it's kind of making it about everything then, you know. So. Well, like, I didn't like it. Um, though, I think, I, again, I'm giving, I'm giving the wrong impression because, you know, kind of, I, I liked it and I found it funny and I found it touching. Uh, but is it one of the top ten films of the year? Ridiculous. <laughs> Has anyone said that? I think so. Well, um, but it's, it's, it's decent. It's a very likeable film. And um, it's... it's very different to what I was expecting, but I did like kind of what I got. Mm. Um, but I did come out with mixed feelings, you mm. know. Maybe. Yes, uh, likewise. But, you know, I recommend that, uh, that people see it. Yeah. All right, well, on that note, thank you very much for listening. We're eavesdropping at the movies, and we are on. Apple Podcasts, Audible, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter, at eavesdropmovies, and Blue Sky, eavesdropping.bsky.social. And the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.